am uh, super excited for today. It's a very special day. Um, many of you know that I just mentioned earlier that Meadows Church uh, planted October uh, 8th of 2017. Or was it 2008? Yeah, 2017. I get, yeah, I don't, I'm not great with numbers, but anyway. Um, so 2017, and uh, it's been a wild ride. And uh, I'll just share for me, you know that I, I grew up in a church that was very traditional, and it felt like I had to go to church. I didn't enjoy church, and um, I don't blame the church. I think it was just me. I just wasn't in it. So at 18 years old, I would leave the church, and I would, do, I would go to college and start a very wild lifestyle away from the church, and the church wasn't important to me. And I lived my life on my terms, and I got what I probably, uh, what a lot of us get when we do that. Uh, the results aren't good. And through drug addiction and through struggles and pain, which God allowed in my life, he led me back to a church. Um, Different than the church I grew up in. It was a church where my wife and I, Jody, we know we needed help. We needed the Lord. And I stumbled into a church. And it was a church that it looks a lot like the church that you're sitting in today. It was a church that where a guy was still struggling with drugs and addiction where they, they loved me. And they welcomed me and they hugged me and they told me things like, welcome home. And this is a place where it's okay that you're not okay. Just keep coming back and God will, God will do a work in you. And they never judged me. They didn't give up on me. And even though I was still dysfunctional, I was still a mess and still destroying lives, if you will, this church was, it was like a party. And you hear me talk about a church being like a party a lot. That's, I, I just, it was fun. And it was, that, I've never experienced that in church before. And it kept drawing me back and drawing my family back. And the kids' ministry was second to none. And we checked our kids in and we didn't have to worry about them. And they were doing their own thing. And, you know, our little terrorists were doing terrorist things in the kids' ministry while we got to enjoy church. And it was great. And we just couldn't believe that this, this could be what we call church. Long story short, my life was transformed through the church. A few months after I came to that church, um, I would surrender my life to Jesus Christ for real, I say, uh, because I did it many times before, but it was never authentic. And I would start a relationship with Jesus, and I would hear a pastor talk about um, how he loved me so much and how he would never give up on me and how his grace and love can cover all the crap that I've done in my life. And I would hear this, and he'd speak with such love and authenticity. I was just so drawn into it. And he would tell me things like, get a Bible and read your Bible. I'm like, God, I've never read it. I mean, I've had one, but never actually opened it. And he would, he would encourage me to do that, and I just kept listening and doing what I was told and God just kept doing things in my life and and here we are 11 years later never dreamed I'd be in Omaha with my family and with you never dreamed that Meadows Church would exist but none, none of what I would describe would would be the case or happen if I wouldn't have stumbled into a church called Celebrate Church in Sioux Falls 11 years ago desperate desperate for just I mean I won't say desperate for big things I just wanted to live another day and not keep screwing up my life and hurting my family and my friends I, I wanted that to stop I didn't know what else I needed or wanted I just know that I don't want tomorrow to be like yesterday and I kept going back and God did a work and uh, so this is I set that all up to tell you that finally after being at church for 15 months I have the privilege of introducing you to my pastor, who is here to bring a word to us. So can we give a warm Meadows welcome to Pastor Keith Lloyd? I don't even know where to go with that. But uh, it is truly a privilege to be here. You know, Monty and I share an incredible love for Jesus and uh, an incredible friendship for each other. And so uh, he had called me up and he said, do you still believe in free speech? 
And I said, yes, I do. And he said, would you give one of those um, in Omaha? And uh, so uh, you, you might get what you paid for. But uh, I love a pastor who is willing to admit he kissed his sister. I got to tell you. Uh, and, and if you miss that, the only reason you can make the comparison and say that it's weird is because you've been there. And so I, uh, I appreciate that. Um, I still drink caffeine, my friend. And uh, so I have no idea what it's like to kiss my sister. If you've got your Bibles, I want to invite you, if you would, to go to 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy. And let me just say this. Uh, Monty is true, what I'm about to admit to you, that I say quite often to our church. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to get you a Bible. Because you need a Bible. What's amazing to me is that every one of you understood very clearly when you got up this morning to leave your house, you needed to put some clothes on. You didn't give that a lot of thought. But I would rather have you naked here with your Bible than clothed without it. Because I say that because there'll be a day you're going to stand before God naked. And his word is what's going to matter, not what you're wearing. I'm not so much into fashion as I am into faith. Fashion comes and goes and people chase it like you can't imagine and they're willing to invest unbelievable amounts of dollars to try to impress you for a moment. I don't want to impress you. I want something to impact you. I want something to change you. And to that, we're going to talk about God's word. Because if anything our world needs right now, it's truth. Because I turn the television on and I don't hear it. I hear a lot of opinions, and I'm going to say this, and it might offend a few, but I want you to listen to this. If you disagree with me, I, I can live without your love. I can't survive without his. And church, I don't want you to miss this. I don't want you to miss this, because some of you are probably sitting here like this. But I'm going to say it over and over again, and again, don't miss this. Everybody here governs their life by an authority. Everybody here got up this morning and you'll make decisions all day because of a truth that you hold value. The question is, is it worth the end result? If you're having sex outside of marriage, the word is not your authority, but you have one. If you're chasing some kind of other means, whether it's success or an addiction or something like that, you have a truth by which you live. It's just not God's word. Everybody here has an authority by which they govern their life. Everybody has a truth in which they value, and every decision they make comes out of that value. The question is, is that value worth laying your life down for? Because you are. It's how you run your marriage. It's how you raise your kids. It's how you drive your car. Everybody here has a truth. Everybody here has a value. And it's to that that I want to speak. Because I, I, I'm blessed. I will just share that with you. I'm so blessed. I, uh, I came out of a generation after generation after generation of pastors. What I'm blessed about it is, is they love Jesus more than they did their career. Uh, let me say it again. Because I know pastors who use the church to value themselves rather than use God and lift him up to value other peoples and build the church. You with me on that? I know people that do that. But I, I share with our congregation, 
Um, I'm not here to make you happy. I want to lift up Jesus who wants to make you holy. And there's a big difference. The world chases happy. I want holy because out of holy comes joy. Unspeakable. And so I'm not trying to build a church. I want to change a culture. But to do that, I've got to lift up the name of Jesus. And so I love this book. If you don't have one, you need to get one. You need to learn to start bringing it. And men, I'm going to tell you, I love to speak to men. Because we need to get back to being leaders of who we are. Instead of chasing things because of our own insecurities, that's the only reason we do it. And started building them before Christ. This is what our world needs right now. It's the word of God. Are you with me in this? I'm not going to be politically correct. I'm not into politically correct. I think that stuff, I, I always a little pastor that loves to use a word I love to use. It's kind of an offensive word, but I got to say it anyway. Politically correct just sucks. Okay? And uh, it just does. I'm not into that. I, I, I'm just not into that. I, I want to lift up the name of Christ. And so, if you got your Bibles, I want to read from 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to jump in and we're going to talk about what I think is the most valued thing that you need to value. I want to talk about the thing that you need to chase more than anything else because it, it will change you. And people need to start getting into the Word. See, I, I, I hear people say, man, listen, Pastor, I just don't get it. Well, you don't get it because you don't read it. This Bible is not difficult. We make it difficult. But I'm convinced that a lot of people don't get it. It's not because they don't read it. They don't want to read it because the world will it will change them, the Word will. And they don't want to face the truth about themselves. So it's much easier to ignore it. See, it's much easier to get up in the morning and chase the things of the world because for a moment... You might find something that makes you feel valued. The only problem is it goes away. That's why you got to get up the next day and chase again. But when you start with the word, it will change you. Oh my goodness, it will hurt sometimes. But that hurt is worth it because of the father who wrote it and cares about his children. See, my God doesn't give me the word to discipline me because he's upset with me. He gives me the word that will discipline me because he loves me. And has something better than the world could ever offer. So I want you to look what the Bible says. 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I'm just going to say some people believe there's a heaven. Some people believe there's a hell. And there's some people believe there isn't. But, but I'm just going to, if it's okay with you, I settled the issue. There is a heaven. There is a hell. And, and I will choose which place I will go, not my God. See, I, I'm a big believer. God has never sent anyone to hell. He offers grace and a gift of eternal life. People send themselves to hell because they choose not to receive that gift. That's your choice, not God's. He made his. I love you and I want you with me. And so the Bible says, in the presence of God and of Christ, who will judge the living and the dead in the view of his appearing in his kingdom, watch this. I give you this charge, and I'm going to personalize this for me. Keith, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. I contend right now in this country we're out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. Hang in there, buddy. And careful instruction for the time will come when the American world will not put up with sound doctrine. 
Nah. Instead, to suit their own desires, their own passions, their own wants, their own wills, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That's why people pick up from one church, go to another. Let's find that interesting. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and they'll turn aside to myths. It's amazing how many people chase a fantasy rather than the reality of God. But you keep your head in all situations. You endure a hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. And discharge all the duties of your ministry. I told you I'm so blessed. My dad was a pastor who loved Jesus more than he did his career. I'm blessed. Both of my grandfathers were pastors. And passed it on to my dad who would pass it on to me. But I'm so blessed because I had a great grandfather who passed it on to his son, who passed it on to my dad, who passed it on to me. I love the fact that I'm not in ministry because it's something I get paid to do. I'm in ministry because Jesus Christ himself called me. And I find an incredible joy to be here. So I want to ask, anybody notice that things keep changing? Has anybody figured that out? Has anybody figured out that nothing stays the same? Has anybody noticed that? I mean, I'm in Nebraska. I grew up in Nebraska, born in Michigan. I was raised in a little town outside of Lincoln called Wilbur Claytonia, a little community there. When I got to sixth grade, we moved to O'Neill, Nebraska. I graduated in 1983, found myself in Texas for three and a half years, came back to York, Nebraska, where I was a youth pastor for 11 months, moved out to Gehring, Nebraska, where I was there for a year and a half as a youth pastor. Then I moved to Kimball, which I was there for a year and a half as a youth pastor. And some of you go, my goodness, you moved a lot. I grew up United Methodist, okay? And if you know anything about the Methodist church, man, they don't keep you around long. They move all the time. So then I met my wife in Kimball, Nebraska, and then we moved to Rapid City, South Dakota, where I was there five years. And then I was a youth pastor there in a Methodist church. Then I went to Ogallala, Nebraska. I was there three years. And then we moved to Williston, North Dakota, and you're like, why would you do that? <laughs> and the reason is, is because God sent Jesus into the wilderness, and evidently God needed to send me there as well. <laughs> and I spent a year there because hell was, that was long enough. <laughs> anyway, and then God laid in my heart to plant a church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and I never thought I would. I thought I'd work with youth all my life. And we've been there come May 20 years. It's a quick trip, crazy quick trip. By the way, this is not in my notes, but I'll just go ahead and say it anyway. Blows my mind how God actually takes care of those who seek him. In fact, I'm overwhelmed by the times that he takes care of us when we don't. But how much his favor falls on us when we just choose to be obedient to him. And we don't even recognize it in the moment. We don't even realize how many times I think angels are among us and what God has really done. It's amazing to me. But I, I was privileged to be my dad's youth pastor three times. I got to work for my daddy. The other three times, I worked for three gentlemen that I didn't know it until I got there 
And the reason they're in ministry is because my grandfather led them to the Lord. And they received their call under my grandfather. Six different churches I was a youth pastor in. And all of those had incredible family connection. It was, blows my mind. But man, is it a quick trip. Nothing stays the same. Is anybody with me in this? Yeah. Nothing stays. Look at the person next to you. You take a good look. Tomorrow they won't look that way. It's crazy if you look close. Everything changes. Everything does. I mean, a good meal, gone. Another year, can anybody just blow your mind to the fact that 2018 is over? Yeah. It is wild. Nothing stays the same. Anybody ever had those wonderful shoes that you thought you'd keep the rest of your life and you had to throw them out? Did anybody shed tears when you threw them out? Look at your body. When's the last time you looked in a mirror? Some of you need to. Um, <laughs> nothing stays the same. I heard about this little older couple. I hope it doesn't offend anybody, but this little old couple, they, they, they would, they'd spent the day together and they were getting ready for bed and she felt the need to, to jump in and take a shower and she took one and she got out and she's standing in front of a full-length mirror and, and she's just, like, just criticizing herself. Her husband's laying in bed watching her and she says, look at me, look at me. All these years I'm just falling apart. My arms, they hang. My rear end sags. I'm wrinkled all over. She turns around and says, is there anything in my body that you think is good? And he says, well, your eyesight's just fine. <laughs> but I'm 53 years old. I'm 53 years old. And nothing stays the same. You probably see a family picture. And when my wife and I planted this church, I already told you, 20 years come May. And when we moved to Sioux Falls, our oldest daughter was four. It blows my mind how my dad would always say, enjoy the moments, it's a quick trip. And now our oldest is two years out of college. Our middle child, we didn't even have when we moved to Sioux Falls, and she was standing on the stage as part of the team this morning. And she's now in her freshman year of college. Clear out in Canada, 36 hour drive from us. <laughs> she loves us. Um, <laughs> and then we have Jackson who's eight. And it just blows my mind how fast time moves on. Nothing stays the same. Stay with, say it with me. Nothing stays the same. Nothing does, except one. Except one. And why Paul tells Timothy, oh, Timothy, preach the word. Preach it. People are going to turn aside. People are going to turn to their own ways. But, oh, my goodness, Timothy, don't stop preaching the word. Because everything's changing except one. Everything's coming, everything's going, and people are finding their substance in a moment, and they're wondering why their life is on sand. But there's one, Timothy, that never changes. Preach it. It's called the Word of God. Amen? Amen. Jesus said this. Look what he said. Mark 13, 
Heaven and earth will pass away. Nothing stays the same. Nothing lasts forever. That's why I tell couples, do not put your investment in your mate. I love my wife with everything I got, but I do not love her first. I love God first because God is the one that gave her to me. But by the way, if I make her my God, which by the way, I think is one of the reasons that divorce happens. I hear it all the time. I just married the wrong person. No, you didn't. You need to become the right person. Because you're never going to find the right person because God did not put the capacity in any other human being to fulfill your need. The capacity of your fullness is found in Christ who created marriage and put together two and they become one. The power that God is actually for us, not against us. That's why Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away but my words, what is he talking about? The word of God, the Bible, it will never pass away. I don't know if you knew this, but the Library of Congress lays claim to the largest library in the known world. Congress, it's crazy. The collection includes more than 32 million books and other printed materials. Listen to this. 3 million recordings, 15 million photographs, 5 million maps, and 61 million manuscripts. They have more than 150 million items on approximately 838 miles of bookshelves. And yet among the entire collection, there's one book. One book since its inception that still even today has never left the number one best-selling book. All the books that have come and gone that collect dust, there's still one that right now in this country that if every household had one, on average, every household would have at least five. The number one sold, but not just the book that doesn't change, but the most living, powerful book that's ever been in existence. Did you know that? The Bible is not just a book among other books. It's beyond anything you can imagine. It's actually alive and breathing. The Bible calls it theopneutos. It's an incredible thing. God breathed. And God cared enough to write me the greatest Hallmark card ever written. And he signed it with X and O's all over it. See, when I read God's love letter to me, in the beginning God created. Chapter 2 comes man. Chapter 3, man blows it. In the rest of the Bible, God chases me with an incredible love because he desires to walk with me again in the garden. I love the word of God. The question is, do you? Jesus said, the words I have spoken are to you. They are spirit and of life. Let me, let me just say this little story. I read about a man who said to his pastor, you know, I've never received any inspiration from the Bible. He said, I never have. Although I've gone through it, 
several times. I love what the pastor said. He said, maybe that's the problem. May I encourage you to read it again, but this time, let it go through you. See, there's a big difference of you being in the word, but what I want to talk about is this, and you've got to settle an issue. So in a moment here, I'm going to kind of flip the thing, and we're going to kind of go in a different direction, so it'll seem. But there's a big difference of you being in the word and the word being in you. But that's a choice that you're going to have to make. And I want to help you with this. Because I think I know what the problem is. I think I do. And I want to help you with that. You know, D.L. Moody once said, the Bible was not given to increase our knowledge. The Bible was given to change our lives. Change our lives. No one cares more about your marriage than God. And he gave us everything you need to build it. No one cares about your children more than God. No one cares about your career than God. It's this right here. This is an amazing, unbelievable book. Unbelievable book. By the way, I don't know if this will mean anything to you because we're in the great state of Nebraska where God gave us Husker football. But <laughs> all my relatives are from Michigan. And, uh, of course, they think the Wolverines are God's team. And we just all know they're going to hell right now. And so uh, we tell them that. But we have a plaque in our house, my mom and dad do, that my uncle Gary, who lives just outside of, uh, of uh, Ann, Ann Arbor, and so he lives in a little town called Adrian. And so uh, he, he, he sent this plaque to my mom and dad. And it says, uh, you know, when God created the world, he had some magnificent ideas. When he got to the United States, he planted beauty everywhere. He thought he wanted to do something different for Nebraska. And so he thought and he thought and came up with this incredible idea and botched the plan. And ended up creating this sea of sand that rolls through where most people wouldn't want to live and he felt so bad so in his grace to tell the Nebraskans he was sorry he gave them Husker football and so um, I don't know how true that is but uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you this I find this interesting one of my close friends is coach Ron Brown and uh, Ron and I uh, talk quite often and uh, I love the fact that uh, when Scott Frost, which, by the way, his parents were my high school football coaches. We knew Scotty when he was a little kid. My sister used to babysit him. And, uh, but uh, uh, when uh, Scott thought about taking a job, he made two phone calls. And Ron had shared this with me. He called Tom Osborne, and he called Ron Brown. And he said to Ron, he said, I think I'm going to take it. I was on the phone with Tom. Is there anything that you would invite me to do? And Ron said, memorize the book of James. And, Ron, and, and Scott did. And then he called Ron up and said, I need you. Not as a positional coach, I need you as a players and coaches coach to us to make sure that we keep our eyes on what really matters and help young men discover there's more to life than football. And so I love the fact and so do I have hope for Nebraska? I have unbelievable hope. If we ever win again, don't really care. Because you can win a championship without Jesus and you lose. You can go completely undefeated in a loss, have Jesus, and you always win. So I, uh, I, I love the fact that that's what's happening here. But I want to read something to you. You probably don't know. And uh, this might surprise you, but I think it's a key 
to the American history. You see, the president sat at his desk in the White House on a winter evening. He had finished the work for the day and was now ready for something he considered more enjoyable. Thus, he took out two Bibles and he opened them to the story of Jesus. He then grabbed a knife, a razor, if you will, and he proceeded to cut up the Bible. No kidding. The president was Thomas Jefferson, and the year was 1804. Such an act would certainly seem presumptuous for most blasphemous. But Jefferson found the task quite simple and fun. Thus he would look past the worthy parts, which he considered easily distinguishable. The other parts he would cut, considering them worthless, of which he would later write a letter to John Adams. Here's what he would call those parts, diamonds in a dunghill. With those he kept, Jefferson created a new book, which he called The Philosophies of Jesus of Nazareth. He had it bound, but he never published it. He told only a handful of his close friends about it. The only copy that ever existed later disappeared and is now lost to history. And you would say, then I'm making that up. Hang in here. Sixteen years later, he created another. In 1820, retired from politics and living in Monticello, Jefferson sat down again at the age of 77 to once again edit the Bible. This time he purchased six of them, two in English, two in French, two containing both Latin and Greek. And like before, he cut them up, creating a second edition in four languages. In this one, he kept the words of Jesus and some of his deeds, but he left out all of the miracles and any suggestion that Jesus was God. The virgin birth was gone, so was Jesus walking on water, multiplying the loaves and fish, and raising Lazarus from the dead. Jefferson's version ends with Jesus' burial on Good Friday, but there's no resurrection, no Easter Sunday. Jefferson called this version the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. This edition did survive and is currently on display at the Smithsonian Museum of American History in Washington, D.C., along with the two of the Bibles that he cut up to create it. Jefferson once wrote, and I'm quoting, I am a sect by myself, commenting on his eccentric religious views. Question with boldness, he urged his nephew Peter Carr in 1787, the existence of God. Because if there be one, he must more approve the homage of reason than that of blindfolded fear. And yet Jefferson also said, I am a real Christian. That is to say, a disciple of the doctrines of Jesus. He called Jesus' teachings the most sublime and benevolent code of morals which have ever been offered to man. He urged getting back to the plain and unsophisticated precepts of Christ, but just as true. He stated that Jesus did not mean to impose himself on mankind as a son of God. He called the writers of the New Testament ignorant, unlettered men who produced superstitions, fanaticisms, and fabrications. He called the Apostle Paul the first corrupter of the doctrines of Jesus. He dismissed the concept of the Trinity as mere abracadabra of the mountebanks calling themselves the priests of Jesus. And you stop and say, why would I say this? Because I fear we've done the same. We've done the same. Have we not? I might upset a few, but that's okay. Will this work for you? Will that help you? We'll just take all that part about tithing out. We don't need that anymore. Is that a Bible you work for you now? Oh, wait a minute. The little light lies, you know. 
Uh, let's just, we don't need those anymore. How about sex before marriage? We don't need that anymore. What, what Bible will work for you? What, what Bible do we need? The one that we want to rewrite that we think is best for our lives or the God who created us that knows exactly everything we need? What Bible is going to work for a country that's moving farther away? See, I have no problem preaching this message, and I'm okay if some of you are offended. I think it's interesting that every other book is perfectly fine in a public institution, but why is this one so offensive if it's not real? Why is this thing so offensive? See, this is why I tell people, I know I'm in the right, because, you ready for this? No one's offended by anything unless it's truth. You're not offended by a lie. Someone walked up to me and said, my goodness, you're a woman. I'm like, wow, thanks, appreciate that. I'm not offended. Because it's not true. Why is it Do you mention the name of Jesus and it's a conversational change? Why is it when you start talking about the word of God, it puts people on defense? Because the Bible says we are created an image and there's something inside all of us that you can't deny the truth even though you might run from it. You might push it away. But whether you're at right now for whatever reason, the only reason you're in this room is because there's something inside of you still calling. And the only reason our world is in the state as it is is because everybody's still looking for something to fulfill the void that only Jesus can. This is why I love the church. This is why I love the name of Jesus. This is why I love the word of God. Because I don't mean it to be offensive. I don't think God wanted it to be offensive. I think we've made it that. God loved us so much. He gave us Christ. God loved us so much. He wrote us a love letter, the greatest Hallmark card, because of his love, his incredible ass goodness to us. But I think we've become more like Jefferson, haven't we? I want you to listen to this. I'm in a state that has four faces and a mountain. And people come and pay homage to those faces. I don't. I don't pay homage to four faces on a mountain. I pay homage to the one who built the mountain. But I think there's more in the church who want to be like Jefferson than they do Jesus. And they pick and they choose. And that has come down through this nation. And we're doing it still today. See, I, I wish that people, and I'll be sharing this with our congregation, I wish you respected me as much as I respect you. But we don't no longer live in that world. I wish you respected me as much as I respect you. You see, some of you are doctors, and I go to your office, and whether it's an eye appointment or something with my body and other parts and that, I go to you, and I trust you. You know why? Because there's a diploma on the wall, and there's a work that you've done, and it says, I've done my homework, and I trust that. You give me a prescription and say, go to Walgreens, and I check out the prescription, and I do what the doctor tells me to do. I just find it interesting that I got four of those degrees in my wall, people. I did my four-year bachelor's. I did 106 hours of a master's of theology, and I have two doctorates. 
And yet I'll stand up and speak and some of you in this room will even do this and you've not even really read or studied this book, but you'll say something like this. Well, that's your opinion. I just find that interesting. But we don't live in that world anymore. We don't live in it. I don't ask our people to follow me blindly. But I do ask them to seek him before you walk in ignorance and make presumptuous statements that had no value. See, I've gotten this book wrong. Granted, I'll admit that. It's never gotten me wrong. It's never gotten me wrong. Thy word, it's a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It cannot fail me. God knew exactly what I needed. But too often we're more like the father who wants to put the bike together out of the box and thinks he's smarter than the instructions that they included in the box to put the bike together. And then they're wondering in the end why there's parts that should have been on the bike but that are not there. This is the greatest instruction manual you'll ever read. And it will show you life. Life to the full. Amen. Can I have someone just amen that? Amen. Come on. This is an incredible book. But here's the deal. And I want to play this out. And I, I don't know who would come and play behind. That'd be great. I can't tell you what to believe. But at 53 years of age and all of my study and all my travels and all of that stuff, I've come to recognize there's only two gods in the world. There's only two. There's Yahweh and there's your way. And it's time that you find you admit. If Yahweh isn't God, you think you are. It's true. It's why you get frustrated at a stoplight because everybody around you should know that what you're doing is more important than what they're doing. It's why you get frustrated in a line. It's why the expectations you put on others when they don't meet them as if somehow your expectations are better than maybe the ones God has for them. There's only Yahweh or there's your way. Somewhere you got to settle that. I can't do that for you. I, I can't sit there and I don't want to guilt you. I can't do that. But I want you to listen to this very carefully. If you want to change your life, you have to change your thinking. Paul said that in Romans 12. He says, be not like the world. Do not be like the world. Peter would say it because all the world is passing away. The lust of the flesh... All of the things that man boasts about, all of it's going away. What is wrong with us that somehow we think that this is heaven? This isn't heaven. I don't know how many funerals I've done, and every time I do it, somebody in the family says, I wish I, I wish I. And there's a part of me that gets so angry on the inside, I just want to shout in this, and why didn't you? We don't live life with purpose because we don't have purpose. We don't live life with intention. We don't have intention. We just have our wants and our ways and those things when they don't get satisfied and people don't live up to what we want, we're frustrated. 
But when you find your foundation in Christ, it sort of begins to change the scenery. Do you understand that Jesus said the eye is the lamp of the body? What people don't understand is the greatest optometrist was Christ himself. And see, you need to understand, this is the glasses by which I view the world. It's very easy for me. It makes sense. But some of you, the world is your glasses, and that's how you view the word. And the only difference between the word world and the word is the letter L, which stands for loser. This world can't offer. We messed that up in the garden. For some of you might say, I know, that's not fair, Pastor. It's just not fair. I, I don't get the garden thing. Why do I have to suffer because Adam and Eve? And I told a guy in my church one time, he asked me that. And I said, you don't have to. He goes, well, yeah, I, I, I live a sinful life because of Adam. I said, no, you don't. You live a sinful life because of you. I said, quit blaming Adam. And he says, well, what do I do? Go be perfect. What's Adam got to do with that? And he goes, I can't. And I went, Exactly. You'd have done the same thing because there's something about us that wants to go out and sort of show God or prove to ourselves or find something. And God knows that we can. So in his incredible love, he gave us a gift called Jesus and he would exchange his life for ours. And he would eradicate sin. It's an amazing thing. And so I don't read the Bible to get better. I read the Bible because of his love. And so I'm not trying to be more like Jesus. I want to read about this Jesus that loved me so much. And the more that I read about him, it seems to transform my life as well. Because you become what you hang around. If you want to fly with the eagles, you got to quit running with the turkeys, people. <laughs> and so I, I, I can't get enough of him. There's just nothing more important in my day than God's word. The sickness is if I go through my day without it because I've really chased and accomplished nothing. But better to have everything never get done, but at least this did. Because now I've accomplished everything. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? So listen to this. We are not what we think we are. We are what we think. Behind every self-defeating act is a lie you chose to believe and a lie that has become your valued truth. And if you want to stop defeating yourself, you have to stop deceiving yourself. And for that to happen, you need a new way to think. You need some new material. And it will change you, but that's your choice. The Apostle Paul said, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. You must put on a new nature, created in Christ's likeness, righteous, holy, and true. Let me, let, me, let me just wrap this up. Edward Markham, the poet, tells a modern parable that illustrates this fact. A certain rich man wanted to do something good, so one day he met a man, a poor carpenter. He lived with a large family, but they had nothing. The rich man went to see the carpenter, gave him plans for a brand new house, and thought, I'm going to do something. 
He asked the carpenter if he would build the house for him on a certain spot at the edge of town. He told the poor carpenter, I want it to be as fine and sturdy as possible, use only the best materials, employ only the best workmen, spare no expense, make it the finest house in town. He then went on his journey, hoping the house would be ready for him when he returned. The poor carpenter saw his chance. So he skimmed on material, employed the inexperienced, the inexpensive help. He covered all the mistakes with plaster and paint. And when the rich man had returned, the house was complete. I followed your instructions, he lied. I've completed the house as you have told me. I'm glad, said the rich man. Here are the keys. The house is yours. I had you build your own house so you and your family would have more than you ever had before. And now you can really live. Yeah, I find it interesting because I too know a carpenter who saw a poor carpenter that didn't know how to build his life. I too know a rich carpenter who gave me everything and said, I have spared no expense. Build your house, build your life. Everybody in this room is building it. He too went away. And he too will return. And on that return, he's going to hand you the keys to heaven or hell, depending on the house you chose to build. Because Jesus said, you're not building your life here. We're to build our house there. That's why I started by telling you, I'm not trying to impress you. I will sleep tonight whether you like me or not. Because my identity isn't wrapped up in you, it's wrapped up in him. And whether you like me, I will curl up tonight because he loves me. I'm not trying to put him under the defense to try to guilt you or push you back. I can tell you, and it's always my prayer, God, if I've said anything that has not been of you, erase it from their minds because they deserve better than me. But God, I'm also not afraid to speak your truth in a world that's pretty much resistant, that doesn't want to hear truth anymore. You turn on the television, you don't hear about a return back to. You just hear people complaining about something that's going on as if somehow their opinion is if everybody did that, it would get better. We don't need man's opinion. We need Jesus' truth. We don't need it. We don't need it. We need this. We need to become students of God's word. We need to make this the most valued thing, the most greatest of importance, our deepest desire, hungry to know the word and let that word set us free. Isn't that what the promise was? He would. He would. God loves you, church. There's a lot of new thought in the world, but there's an old one that'll change you. And you want to know? I'm going to say it again. I love the Word. But you know what I love more than that? The Word really loves me. The Word really loves me. The B-I-B-L-E. That's the book for me. 
I'll stand alone if need be on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E. Someone once said, basic instructions before leaving earth. I think the Bible is God's blessed instructions before I leave earth, that I can live here on earth. And I believe it, and I trust it to you. Let me pray for you. Father, in this room are your creations. No one loves them more than you. In this room are the people that you love so much that you gave your life. And not only gave it, but joyfully. No condition surrendered that life. God, what an amazing, unbelievable promise. You are so good. Lord, I pray for this church. I'm so proud of Monty. The call that you put on his life and the obedience that he and Jody are committed to. God, to be a part of all of your God churches in this city to transform the face of a city called Omaha. God, I thank you for that. And knowing that you're going to add to this number in ways we can't even fathom. Because no one loves these people more than you. And you've humbly put that love in him and her. And I just say thanks. God, as I continue to lift them up daily and pray, we ask for your divine presence to move in us, to give us a hunger like never before for your truth to know that truth and to watch that truth set us free. God, thank you. Can we uh, just thank Pastor Keith for bringing the word to you? Um, I knew it was going to come heavy and hard, and that's okay. That's the way I want it. That's what changed my life. And uh, I'm, I, I'm, I'm guessing that this week I might meet somebody and they'll say, aren't you the church that you guys ripped up a Bible during the service? I'll be like, no, that was the church up the street. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, we are that church. And I want to apologize for it because here's the problem that I see maybe, and Pastor Keith alluded to this, is that I don't worship this. See, we worship the one who wrote this, right? This is a big deal to me, but there's a lot of people who have a lot of these in their house. Pastor Keith said it, but they don't read it. They pay homage to it. They won't, don't write in it. Don't highlight it. Don't desecrate it. Are you kidding me? I write all over it. I highlight the heck out of it because I can't remember what I read and I got to go back to it. That's where I am. So I, so Pastor Keith, thank you so much for boldly bringing the word. That's what we want. And I knew as we kick off a, a, a series on core, if this isn't our center, what is? What is, but, but, but this is what I know. Most people don't read it. And I'm not even afraid to say that most people probably sitting in this room today don't read it. Don't feel bad if that's you. Feel blessed that you're here. That was me all my life. That was me all my life until finally, and it took time. 
And he kept saying, bring your Bible, read your Bible. And I kept hearing it, but I wouldn't do it. Until the day, finally, the Holy Spirit convicted me and said, okay, he keeps saying it. He keeps talking how it's changed him. I'm going to try it. But two reasons people don't read the Word, I'll give them to you, what I believe. Number one, uh, they say they don't have the time. You've got the time. Ten minutes a day for the rest of your days will change your days. You've got ten minutes. They don't, they, don't, they don't think it'll change their life. That's number two. The number one thing that's changed my life in the last 11 years hasn't been the preaching, though it's been incredible. Hasn't been even my life groups, which is awesome. Hasn't been even the church as a whole. I would say it's been the Word of God. It's the number one thing. And it's the last thing I thought would change my life. I'm like, how is reading this book going to change me? Seriously. And I'm like, something supernatural happens when you open the Word of God. Well, I don't get it. Trust me, you'll get it more than you think you do. I promise you. And even if you read it for 10 minutes, you're like, ah, I really don't get that. A supernatural blessing. When you seek God, he says, you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. When you read his word, you're seeking him with all of your heart. So this is what I want to do in closing. I'm going to ask you two things. Well, really one thing, and this is for everybody. I'm going to ask for a commitment for five weeks. For five weeks, if you're not reading the Word of God right now, that you will read 10 minutes a day. I'm asking. The series is five weeks long. Will you, will you do it for this series? For five weeks, you do, you do it every day. If you miss a day, you might miss a day. Get on track the next day. Don't just say, oh, well, I missed a day. No, no, no. Get on track the next day. Set an alarm. Be diligent. You're going to have to schedule it like anything else that's, that you do. Don't just say, I'm going to do it at this time. No, no, no. Pick a time and do it. Mornings are awesome. Ten minutes a day for the rest of your days will change your days. Commit to that. I don't want Pastor Keith to just come here and preach a word and then we do nothing with it. So will you commit to that? If you'll commit to that, I want you to do something right now. If you'll commit to five weeks of ten minutes a day, I want you to raise your hand right now. Okay, I want to celebrate. Put your hands together now because there are a lot of people here making commitments. Okay? So you just made a declaration to God that you'll do it. And maybe you didn't raise your hand. That's okay. You keep coming back. I was one of those guys for a long time too. But for those that did, now do it. Ten minutes a day. If you need the word, he said it, we'll get you one. That's the commitment you make. It's not about New Year's resolutions, okay? It is about a revelation. That's what it's about. The Word of God is the number one thing that has changed my life, and it will change yours. Ten minutes a day for the rest of your days will change your days. Number two, the Word. He he keeps saying it's not about, it's about the Word loving Him. What does he mean? You know, Jesus is called the Word in the Word. He says the Word became flesh. That's Christmas. The Word is Jesus. He became flesh at Christmas when he came. Remember we celebrated that a couple weeks ago? We celebrated it. And he became flesh. But you know where I was all my life? I believed in Jesus. Just didn't live like him. Just wasn't seeking him at all. And maybe that's you today. You're like, my life looks a lot like everybody else's. And I go to church, but that doesn't, you know what? If you're not seeking Jesus and you're not surrendered to him, it's just an hour. It is. I went to church all my life. I was not following Jesus. I was not walking with Jesus. For some of you here today, here's what's happened. You, you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. You, you talk about the Word, but the Word is not in you. That's the decision that you need to make. Pastor Key said it. We, God doesn't send you to hell. He would never do that. He's a God of love. We do it by not receiving Him. And so many people don't understand. Jesus Christ, the Word became flesh to give you life today and forever. And if you've never accepted Jesus, the gospel, what does that mean? Jesus Christ is God's Son. He came to earth at Christmas, we call it. 
He lived 33 years, never sinned, never did anything wrong, died on a cross. Not because, not because he necessarily wanted to. I mean, he, he, he prayed to God, God, is there another way? God's like, no, you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. And Jesus did it out of love. And most people, most people, the Bible says most people won't receive it. Not because they're good or bad. It has nothing to do with that. It's grace is so scandalous that you would just accept it. Regardless of where you've been or what you've done or what you're looking at or who you're hurting today. Today it changes. You can believe that Jesus is God's son. Give your life to him. Or recommit. Some of you, you've gotten off track. And you know it. Today's the day you get back on track. It is a decision that you make. It is a decision that you make. The cards, the commitment cards, that's what they're for. I recommit my life to Jesus. I commit my life to Jesus, whatever it is. If that's you, that's what you need to do. Believe that Jesus is God's son. Believe that he died on a cross. Believe that he rose from the dead. The Bible says anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved, made new. A new day, a new year, that's you. And that's why you're here. So don't leave here if that's you. Make the decision. And after you do, after we sing, you come up here. There'll be a prayer team all the way across here. Bring them their card. Let us pray with you. We'll give you a Bible. We'll point you to a next step. But don't leave here. I am begging you. Do not leave here if that's you. If you've never done that, or if you've gotten off track, don't leave here if that's you. We did this for you. Jesus brought you here for this moment. He loves you so much. Accept that gift. Accept it and receive it. And you might be thinking, I don't deserve it. I don't either. That's what makes it such a beautiful gift. Accept it and receive it. And watch what God does in your life. He's just getting started. I'll pray one more time. We're going to worship and then let's watch what God does. He's just getting started. God, thank you so much for Pastor Keith taking the time to love us and walk us through your word and show us how it changes us. I love the quote from D.L. Moody. It's not knowledge we're gaining. It's life change. It starts in the mind. And if we believe it, many people did because they raised their hand. We, th then it moves to action. And action turns into habits 10 minutes a day. And habits, well, at the end of the day, God, habits define our life, don't they? That's what's going to happen. So I pray for everybody in this place, for those who are hurting, struggling, for those who are going to commit, recommit, take a next step, join a life group, whatever it is you're calling them to do, God, I pray they will not leave this place until it is done. If they need prayer, they will flood the prayer team. If they need a hug, if they need love, if they have questions, if they're ready to do whatever you're telling them to do, God, I pray they do it and they don't leave here until it is done. That's why we're here. God, work and do what only you can do, God. You're the, nothing else can change us but you, God. Have your way. We believe in you and we declare that in you, the best is yet to come.